0: Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to not return to Luke. I had anticipated we would retur- return to Luke, but we're not going to. We're going to be in First Peter. And, and I've said it a number of times, and you, you hear me say, you know, go look on Version live. That's really not just to get you to go to the live event. I don't know how many people use that. Really, this week, though, there are a long list. There's a long list of articles there that I would encourage you to read um, and to consider and think about. As we the church now live in the day and age in which we we live, and so I just would encourage you to go find me on Facebook if you don't have the U version app. Find me on Facebook. The the link is there. You can get to it through an uh, an internet browser. Uh, I just want you to I want to make those available to you. And there's a whole list longer. So many more I could have listed, but I think these are pertinent to the discussion that needs to be had within the church. Today, though, as we begin, I don't want to start with my comments or introductions as far as trying to bring you to a place. I just want to start with the scripture. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. I think it's on page 1025 or so of the Bibles and the chairs. If you uh, it's just be beneficial, I think, if you would follow along, uh, however you're going to do that. We begin reading in chapter 2, verse 1. So, put away all malice You yourselves, like living stones, are being built together to be a spiritual house, to to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, the honor is for you who believe. But, you hear the contrast. But, for those who do not believe. The stone the the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But, Another contrast, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you. He's pleading. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We're going to take a break right there. You see, Peter wrote these words to, to, to just kind of step in. But, but, but Peter wrote these words to a, a scattered and suffering and diverse church church. Some of the church was Jewish and they had grown up in Jerusalem. They had been run off by the Jews because they had confessed that Jesus Christ was the Savior. And as a result, they were pushed out of Jerusalem. And when they did, the book of Acts tells us that when the Jews pushed the Christians out of Jerusalem, that everywhere they went, they went preaching the gospel. And so as they would go into these towns and they'd find Jewish communities and synagogues and in, in neighborhoods, they would go to these places and they would preach the gospel. And more Jews came to believe that Jesus Christ was the Savior. But it wasn't just more Jewish people that came to know Jesus as Lord. It was, it was Romans and Greeks alike. It was the people who, would, who, who were indigenous to Asia Minor that Peter was writing to. These were, these were scattered and diverse churches, diverse peoples. And they were suffering under the weight of Roman rule. But what I would highlight to you this morning is that when Peter wrote to these people, He addressed them as one. He he wrote these words to draw them together. To highlight that before they were Roman, before they were Greek, before they were Jewish, they were Christian. They had been united in this new identity found in Jesus Christ. I had every intention this week of moving on to to Luke uh, out of what I believe was a successful weekend of calling us a starting point for us as a church not just to be aware of the racial tensions and aware that we need to actively step into this this process of gospel and the reconciliation across racial lines within the church. I had every intention of moving on to the To the Transfiguration, really looking forward to preaching that, actually. And then Tuesday happened. Tuesday night into Wednesday morning happened. It was really kind of surprising. I was shocked. I mean, by about 8.30, I sat down and I began to watch the election results come in. (laughs) To say the least, I was surprised. But I wasn't the only one surprised. The people reporting the story, they were surprised. And it was obvious they were surprised. They were reporting a story that none of them. I was streaming across Fox, CNN, and MSNBC. I didn't want to just hear the the, the conservative news channel or the the liberal. I wanted to hear multiple stories. I was watching results and and uh, watching uh, things come in across real real clear politics, a website that just tracks this stuff. And and uh, uh, they were surprised. Every one of them was saying, we got it wrong. We got it wrong. They were reporting a story that none of them had prepared to report. But as Tuesday turned to Wednesday and Wednesday turned to Thursday, what became very obvious is that we live in a very divided nation. In fact, the term United States doesn't even really fit for where we are today. If you look at the the the, the vote, the, the percentage of votes, like 47 point something to 47 point something, and they know it. Even as I was preparing to leave this morning, the house, and it was just as I was heading out the door, I saw the TV was on, but the volume was down, and and I, I just saw the, the, the heading across the bottom. I can't remember what channel it was on. I, I, don't, I remember it was uh, Trump's, uh, the, the lady that ran Trump's campaign. I can't think of her name off the top of my head. And some reporter, I don't know who he was, but across the bottom it was living in unity in these days or something like that. Seeking to unite as a nation in light of what's happened over the last, I don't know, year. See, they know, they understand that there's a problem. They understand that they have got to figure out how to unite. We live in a nation divided. And if it was just a nation, we might be able to move on to Luke. But it's not just a nation, it's the church. The North American church is divided. National leaders, uh, uh, Franklin Graham and others, uh, he's the most prominent that I can remember, Franklin Graham and others pleading with people to pray that Trump would win. Going, he, he actually went to all 50 states. Whole prayer meetings on Capitol building steps to, to plead with God that, that Trump would win. And, 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 and then the other side of that, there's, there's evangelical leaders, Christian leaders saying, don't vote for either And then there is that measure of evangelicals that stood on the other side and determined that Hillary was the best option. But it's not just the leaders that are divided. The people across America, Christian people across America are divided. Ed Stetzer points out one of the articles I gave you, or I gave you a link to on the Uversion Live event. Ed Stetzer writes in Christianity Today, he writes that while four out of five white evangelicals were voting for Trump, many non-white evangelicals were feeling betrayed. He writes, and I put this on the screen for you, many are asking, how can white evangelicals shut their eyes to the reality of a man who seemingly allows and even perpetuates, a painful, or perpetuates painful and ongoing wounds that many of our brothers and sisters deal with each day. Prejudice, harassment, marginalization, violence, and rejection. How many white evangelicals check that yes box to a man who by his very life seems to demonstrate a lack of the very love and unity we are called towards as followers of Christ? And the truth is, this just isn't in the national church, the North American church. This is in our church. You see, the truth is, and I know it, not because of Facebook posts, not because of, you of, of, always see Facebook, right? I mean, everybody's on Facebook telling you what they think. Our church is typically quiet i'm probably going to get some phone calls after this sermon but but typically our church is quiet but when i started receiving phone calls about the way we were acting around one another because of what just happened i knew that even we are divided My point today is not to shame anyone because they voted for Hillary or Donald. You are not more or less Christian because you voted for one or the other. Only Jesus makes you Christian. Just for the record, as I stand here, I voted for neither. In my opinion, just my opinion, neither needed to be elected. But the reality is is that that doesn't make me better either. My point today is not to to heap guilt on you because you might have voted for who you voted for or, or praise you because you didn't vote for one of the other. My point today is for us as a church to live in reality of the very thing we preached about and professed and celebrated last Sunday. You see, here's the reality is that we aren't just divided because of racial tensions. We are divided just as seriously, just as deeply because of political ideologies. And so while I thought our point last week, and let me just remind you of it quickly. The point, because of the gospel, there is no room in the church for division, only reconciled diversity that's united through the blood of Jesus Christ. While I thought that was going to be a call for us, a, a challenge for us to reach across racial lines. To love a brother and sister that's ethnically and culturally different than we are enough that we would unite together in Christ. I thought that was the purpose of it. But before we can even go there, we've got to get this we got to get this right here. You see, the truth is, and the point for today's message, the, the point that I would love to drive home and challenge you with and at the same time encourage you with is that living Christian in a Christless nation doesn't begin with action in the world, but with pursuing unity within the church. And because I know you and because i know from people who have called me before we can do another thing we have got, we have got to unite in christ if we are going to see gospel reconciliation beyond these walls we've got to be a people who in the words of paul are eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of peace of the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace right here in this room. Anything less is hypocrisy. It is a facade. And while the world is, is fine settling for fake facades that are, that are fine till the trouble comes, there is no room for that in the church. We have the important And yet awkward and difficult work of fighting for unity. Because we, we, like these people, Peter wrote these words to have been made one in Christ. You see, the reality is that to pursue this, to to make this a reality, we have to realize just like just like these people who had to set aside their Romanness, their their Greekness, their their ethnicity, their Jewishness, their historicity, their their lineage, their 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 DNA. They had to set aside everything they had known. that they could see that they were one in Christ, that they could stand in this united identity given to them by Jesus Christ. We, like them, have to realize that before we are Republicans and Democrats and independents, before we are progressives, liberals, uh, conservatives, moderates, whatever label you'd love to carry around upon yourself to demonstrate to the world who you are, before we are any of those things, before we are white, black, Indian, what, what, whatever, what, But before you are your family, before you are your lineage, you are Christian. And we are called by Peter to live in that Christian identity, and he shows it to us. He shows it to us. There's three markers that he demonstrates to us, three evidences, three characteristics of the, of, of the Christian identity that he calls us to. Two of them are, two, two of them are from God, and one of them is, is, is from us. In these very verses, he, he shows us that, that central to their identity, this new unifying identity, is their response to God. Their response to Jesus. Verse 4 says, They come to him. As you come to him, living, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves. This, 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 the, the, the results of, of this work is, is people coming to Jesus inherent in this coming to Jesus is a rejection of everything else, turning my back on the Republican or Democrat or progressive or conservative or or, or whatever ideology I can adopt is turning my back on that and saying, that is not enough. That will not save me. That is not my hope. There, There is no power in that. And running in repentance toward Jesus in verse 7, he says that the honor is for you who believe. The honor is for you who believe, who trust. And so we, we get this picture in verse 4 where he's saying we come to Jesus, in, in a sense repenting of all the, the, the things in the world, coming to Jesus. And then he professes that, or he refers to it in a positive fashion, in trusting or believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus in the same way that intellectually you understand when you sat in that chair, you wouldn't fall on the ground. Intellectually knowing something that moved you, enabled you, empowered you for action intellectually understanding something that that, that enables you to to do something as a result of it, knowing that when you step out into the street, you're not going to get hit by a bus. Believing that when you sit down in your car to go to work tomorrow morning, that you're actually going to make it to the other end, or you'd never leave your driveway. This knowledge that enables us to act. This this trust that's so intrinsic to action. is the faith that he's calling us to. That's the word he's using. So our response is this. Repentance coming to Jesus. Repentance from the world so that we can come to Jesus and trust him. Brothers and sisters, this is key. Because if we're not all coming to Jesus, if we're not all walking in his direction, if we're not going to the same place, we can't go together. If you're trusting in your candidate to save you or to save this nation, more than you are trusting in Christ to offer salvation to all people, then we literally cannot walk on the same path. We must repent. And we must believe that Jesus is the only way And this this is ultimately, this is what led these people out of Jerusalem, being persecuted, walking into more persecution, that they would, this is the song they sang. This is the message they preached. This is the way they lived. This is the encouragement that they gave. Regardless of the cost, no matter what it meant for them, no matter what they would experience because of it, they went preaching the gospel. Everywhere they went. And the kingdom advanced, and more people turned and repented, and more people came to Christ, and more people believed in Christ. And as they did, they grew in this united identity that starts in our response to Jesus, and continues into the honor we gain through Jesus. In verse 7, he says it, so the honor is for you who believe. The, the word there speaks to intrinsic value in a person based on the image of God in them. But specifically, he calls it out. He shows us the honor we enjoy, the, the, the blessings we gain because we have been united in Christ. He, he, he speaks of it in verse 4. Go back to verse 4 into verse 8. You, you come, to him as, uh, come to him as a living stone. You, yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. You're being placed upon one another like bricks in a house. You're being built up as a spiritual house. You're being laid one upon the other, dependent upon those around you, that you might sit level, that you might be be strengthened, and you are glued together by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only are we built up together as a unity, as as a unit, as one, we are called priests holy priesthood with a very special purpose. But he goes on. It's not just the unity in this priesthood and spiritual house. He goes on in in the verses that that follow. Verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He signifies the distinction that exists within God's people from the rest of all the world. Not only Not only are we a people for God's possession, but we are distinctly a people for God's possession. You see, he says this honor of unity, this honor of distinction is for you who believe. For you who are coming to Christ, for you who have repented of your sin and trusting in Christ alone, this is the honor you have been given. Let, let, me, let me just point out here, plead with you for just a moment for those of you that have never believed, for you Pharisees that stand in your religion and you are good enough to get to God on your own, for you pretenders who came this morning to impress other people. God is not fooled. There is no honor. For those who do not believe. So let me plead with you. Let me love you enough. To speak the truth to you. As, as directly, concisely as I can. Trust him that you might be united in this honor. Believe in him alone. And when you do, you, like us, those who stand already in this position of honor, you, like us, will also receive his Mercy, another aspect of his honor. Once, he, he says, once you were not a people, now you are God's people, united, distinct. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's this perspective, there's this nuance that you need, you, you need to see here. The whole world experiences the common good, the common grace of God. If they didn't, there's a reality that God would have burnt everything up a long time ago. Everyone experiences common grace from God. But only those who have believed and only those who are coming to Jesus Christ experience his mercy. You see, in the one, apart from his mercy... You will carry your judgment yourself. But having received mercy, he has judged his son in your place and for your sin. To so please, please believe. And believe in increasing measure. Not only Do we see that there is a response that unites us, that there is honor from God that unites us, but there is a purpose from Jesus that unites us? He says, you have been made a holy priesthood that you might offer spiritual sacrifices, but not just any spiritual sacrifices, acceptable sacrifices, sacrifices acceptable to God. Now, I think you get, it. I think you see, sacrifice is not a word that's like, oh, well, this is gonna be easy. Sacrifice is death. Sacrifice is suffering. Sacrifice is giving something up. This is we talked about last week, dying to ourselves, picking up our cross and following him. This is the purpose for which you were saved, that you might offer sacrifices acceptable to God in Christ Jesus. That we together might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. You can see it in verse 10. Once you are not a people, I'm sorry, in verse 9. You, you, you are a holy nation, a people for his own possession you, that you may proclaim. Why are you these things that you may proclaim? The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is his purpose for us. And then Peter pleads with the people of God have been united as one, as sojourners and exiles, another point of identity. Sojourners and exiles, aliens and strangers in this world. He says that he calls us this purpose to to give ourselves to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. passions of the flesh. Self-fulfillment. Like, i got to get mine. I've got to make sure I take care of me. If I'm going to succeed in this life, it's going to be by my hand. If, if anybody's going to take care of me, it's going to be me. Does that not deny the gospel of Jesus Christ that God will provide for his people? That in the gospel, God has provided for his people. But this might just very be, this, this might well be the first time in all of the elections I have voted that I have heard so many people voting because they have felt marginalized and have felt ignored and have felt like they weren't getting theirs passions of self fulfillment that move us to action we have been called to wage war against them because they are waging war against our souls passions of the flesh like self protection i can't i can't trust what this other candidate's going to do i can't i just cannot believe that god's strong enough or god's able to protect me if i don't vote against this person and both sides of this, both, both sides of this, all over the place. I mean, Hillary's followers, Hillary's supporters were f- fearful. They're, they're so afraid of what happens when Trump's elected. And, and Trump's followers, Trump's supporters are so afraid of what happens if Trump's not elected. And so they voted to protect themselves. Because we just can't see how God's going to do that for us. Self-exaltation. There's a whole group of people who have taken and twisted much of what's been said. I didn't have to twist it too far. But they believe that making America great again really does mean making America white again. See, the reality is, is that there's a whole group of people who are running around thinking that now they matter again, and they are glad that Donald Trump got elected because now they shine again, and they reign again. And they are detestable. Because we, we want to be on top. We want to be noticed. We want to be worshiped. We want to be idolized. In the ways that the world sins and that the flesh wages war against our soul, Christian, we have been called To abstain. I'm not speaking to the world to try and straighten them out. I'm calling the church to unite in this purpose. Doing good, he says. Abstain. In the negative, we we abstain from the passions of the flesh and we do good. Not so that our backs are padded, Not so that we are seen as good people. But so that God is is worshipped that's why he left us here in this united identity that is what he says to us this united identity that's, that's drawn together our response our faith our repentance our turning toward jesus our trusting jesus The honor that we have received from him, we are so blessed by him. We have an abundance. The the scriptures teach us that every spiritual blessing has been given to us. That that we have been given all we need, not some of what we need, all we need for life and godliness. That our needs will be met, that we are rich beyond beyond what we can fathom because of the blessings of God upon us. So now he calls us to to live in this way doing good deeds, not so that a president can get elected, but that our God who saw fit to put on flesh and dwell among us and die in our place and for our sins and rise again, promising us victory and guaranteeing to us our inheritance so that he could be worshipped. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters most. And he is the only one worthy. Brothers and sisters, hear me. Please hear me. I am not, not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to call you to stand with me as one in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this new united identity. So that we can be a people who see reconciliation. You see, here's the reality is that the world can see their problem. It's all over the news. It's all that they're talking about now. They know that there's an issue. They know that they got to do something. But all they can do is achieve a facade, a, a fake unity. But what they can only achieve in, 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 in image, what they can only achieve on the surface, brothers and sisters, we can be united in through and through because before we are anything else, We are children of God, united in our king, who have been called to live differently in this world, who have been given a purpose that's bigger than we are. And as we fight for that unity, as we strive for that unity, I think it's fitting especially fitting, somewhat surprisingly fitting, that Peter, upon, upon highlighting their unity and their oneness in Christ, as he, as he began to give them specific application as a result, that he would start in the arena of the nation in which they lived, the empire in which they lived. Look at it in verse 13. We'll pick it up. We'll read through verse 17. He says, be subject. Now, you already know that's going to be a difficult one, right? I mean, that's already. We're not good at that. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Not some, every Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, or or, 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 I'm sorry, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Huh. You mean this is the way we provide answers, this is the way we educate. Not by demonstrating all the value of one candidate over another. But by living as Christians in a Christless nation. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. There's so much we could draw out of this passage. and, And I mean, just for an example, you get a glimpse of God's purpose, God's role for government in the world. He didn't allow government. He chose to establish government for a particular purpose. There's an article on the YouVersion event. If you go, you look it up, there's an article there that describes that much more fully. We don't have time to deal with that right now. There's six commands I need you to see. If we are going to be a united people living in this united identity, we've got to understand that there is commands that given to each and every one of us. Very practical actions that he calls us to take. First, verse 13, as God's people, when we step into the world, when we begin to take action in the world, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Specifically in this context, he's speaking of governing authorities. He's speaking of the government. He refers to the emperor and the governors that are sent by him. We are to submit to governing authorities. That means we are to be obedient to them. That, that's, that's living by the law of the land. That's understanding that we may be given rights to do a lot of things, but we have never been given a right in Christ to be lawbreakers. Whether we like it or not. Whether we like what the, what the existing uh, uh, president, what the sitting president, what the coming president, or what the potential president could have done. We have been called to submit to live by the law of the land. What this doesn't mean is that we disobey God so that we can obey man. So the idea is that we are to do this in honor of God. And we cannot sin in honor of God. So if for whatever Purpose. Uh, Trump sits. Uh, Trump takes the presidency, and the Republicans determine that now we are going to write a law that 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 is unjust or that is harmful to people. That is just okay. Well, let's let's just go kill people we don't like. We have a responsibility to disobey that law. We have a responsibility to civil disobedience. We see it all across the Old Testament. Pharaoh gave the uh, the command for midwives to kill Jewish babies, and they disobeyed. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 1. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't bow to the king because they, 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 they were only going to bow to God. You can read about it in Daniel 3. Daniel, in fact, just so you know, if you don't remember that story, they got thrown in a fiery furnace because of that. Like, that's the example, right? Like, you're going to disobey, and you're going to deal with the consequences that come. We cannot obey man before God. Daniel continued praying to God, even though he'd been commanded not to pray to God. The apostles continued preaching the gospel, even though the Jewish Sanhedrin had said, you can't preach Jesus as Lord. In all of these cases, these people disobeyed. They recognized they must obey God before they... Before they obey man. But to my knowledge, and I could be wrong about this because I don't, know, I don't know what all the books say. I don't know what all the laws that are written say. If you've got time to read all those, you're welcome to do that. But to my knowledge, there is no law written that says you must go and act unjustly or harmfully towards another person. There's a lot of people doing it. But so far as I know, there's no law on our books that actually commands it. So until that happens, we obey the law. We obey the rules of the land. We subject ourselves to the governing authorities. We submit to them. We obey them. And we live free. It sounds almost like... A contradiction, like, well, how in the world do we do that? Because you are not owned by the, by the authorities in this land. You are not owned by them. You are not their property, but you are to turn and freely exercise submission so long as it honors God. That's a whole different thing. They're not forcing you to this. You are to do this by your own will, with your own might. It goes even further than that, though, because the reality is is we have been freed. We have been freed from this body of sin that rebels against God. It's it's the only reason we can now wage war against the passions of our flesh. It's the only reason that we can do this. It's the only reason that we now have the opportunity to actually submit freely to the government to the governance above us. We are called to submit and we are free to submit instead of disobey. Not only that. And you know, we, he says, he says, don't use your freedom as a way to cover up people. Don't, don't le- use your freedom as a, as a way to rule yourself, to determine what's right and wrong for yourself and not care about anyone else. Don't use freedom as a sense of idolatry to establish yourself as a God among men. Because in your freedom, you must realize that you are not just free from something, you are free to something. You are free from all the chains that bind this world in death and condemnation. And you are free from that. And you are free to live as a servant of God. To finally submit to his authority fully. You're free to be his servant, to be his bondslave. Free from yourself, free from the world, free from the reign of Satan and the dominion of darkness, because you have been brought into the kingdom of light. We submit to the government, we live as a people who are free, and we honor everyone. I I, I love this because in the passage before, Peter's already laid out how we have been honored by God. We have been so overwhelmingly blessed by God. And now he says, now he says, turn around and give that honor away to everyone. Not some people, not the ones who look like you, not the ones who are easy to do it, not just the ones that you like to do it for. Honor everyone. Recognize, this, this word, it, it demonstrates a, a, a value in a person, an, an intrinsic value in them, in every person, not because of just simply what they do, but because of who they are as image bearers of God. Everyone, everyone, from those who are residing in a womb to those who are lying on their deathbeds, every last person that walks the face of this earth bears the image of God, and regardless of your feelings about them, deserve honor and dignity as those image bearers. And so when we see injustices or harm coming to people, we don't just have a right, but we have a responsibility to speak out and actively do something on their behalf. That's how we honor them. People who are oppressed, we seek to relieve oppression. People who are hurting, we mourn with and seek to relieve pain. People who are, who are suffering, we seek to end suffering. We walk with them and talk with them and, and share with them the beauty and majesty and blessing that comes in turning to Jesus Christ. This is how we honor them. You see, you've got to make note here. Peter is not calling us to think something about them. He's calling us to do something, to be active in it. I mean, the reality is that that this kind of honor among people, that this this removal of honor among people was, was the reason many people were afraid of Trump, fearful of Trump being elected. In many ways, they've been Proven right. Story upon story listed here, I'm going to share with you three. Reports of Jews that have swastikas scratched into their doors and in high schools and junior highs pasted on their lockers. Students labeling water fountains whites only and colored A little girl, I think she was about 10, if memory serves. A little girl picked up from school because a little boy grabbed her. I'll let you imagine where he grabbed her. And when asked why he did it, if the president can, so can I. These people deserve honor. They deserve someone to stand up on behalf of the image of God and dignity that they deserve. They deserve us to stand and give them honor. And yet so many of us sit in silence. or seeking to justify us, justify ourselves based on our decision. But this isn't just a one-sided affair. People who've been open about a vote for Trump being labeled, blanketly labeled, as racist, homophobic bigots. I know some people that voted for Trump, and that's not how I would describe them at all. See, the, the reality is, is that in the very nuance, in, in, in the very conversation we're having about race and all of the threads that, that lead people to feel oppressed, even though they may not have been the one that actively experienced the oppression, all those threads, all that, all that, all that stuff under the surface, those same nuances need to be applied to this conversation about political ideology. And if we're unwilling to do that for one another, then we are judging with a wrong motive and a wrong heart. We're just, all all we're doing is turning Romans 2 out to be true. We're just proving it to be true because the same judgment we judge others with uh, is true about us. We are making it true about us. I saw a video uh, of a man who, maybe you saw the video as well. It was scrolling around Facebook. A man who voted for Trump simply because he voted for Trump. Being beaten by more than one person. I believe he was dragged out of a car and beaten. I I don't know if it was his car or not. I don't know that he knew it was his car when it was all said and done. I just know he was literally beaten. This is not a one-sided issue. There's enough blame and hate and venom to go around Brothers and sisters, as Christians, as those bearing the united identity of Christ, we must rise above this and honor everyone. Calvin writes, I think something is helpful here. We are not to reflect on the wickedness of men, but to look to the image of God in them. An image which, covering and obliterating their faults, an image which, by its beauty and dignity, should allure us to love and embrace them. And yet so many of us, regardless of what side of the aisle they sit on, so many of us sit silent. As we unite together, we have been called to activity in the world, and part of that activity is honor everyone. He goes on, love the brotherhood. You see, he again signifies a a special weight, a special perspective, a, a, a weightier perspective for those in the church, primarily within the church. This is not love the brotherhood to the exclusion of the world, but primarily love the brotherhood. It starts here. If we aren't loving one another first, what are we asking people to be a part of? but a bunch of individuals who are only trying to make their own way in the world. If we can't learn to love one another, why would we ask anybody else to come get involved in this mess? And don't act like we're not a mess. (laughs) I'm the lead mess. He calls us to love one another the way Christ loved us, beneficially, sacrificially, unconditionally, actively working. For the benefit of each other, so that when someone steps in, they too are loved like Christ loved us. They too, they don't just glimpse the mercy, they receive the mercy. They too don't just hear about grace, but they are washed over with God's grace through his people. We love one another. Love the brotherhood, fear God. We cannot take this too lightly. When we fear God first, we can trust Him most. Now, if anything I've learned, if if there's anything I learned out of Luke chapter 8 going into Luke chapter 9, is that the fear of God is vital for our soul. Not because we're called to quake in front of Him, not because we're supposed to be shaking in fear of Him. But the truth is, if we don't fear him first, we'll fear everything else before him. The fear of man that makes me very apprehensive to step up and preach this message to a church that I don't know exactly where everybody lands, but I know that's divided. And I could fear you, or I could fear God for your good. I'm striving to fear God. For the fear that's going to come if we step out and truly live this life, like really live this life out, we might get thrown in a fiery furnace. Probably not, but we might. Man, I'm going to fear God more than that. I might lose a Facebook friend. Whew, but it's a tough one. Somebody might yell at me. Somebody might reject me. I could lose a job. Fear God, not man. Fear God, not circumstances. Fear God, not the consequences that this world can bring. Fear God. When you fear him most, you'll be able to trust him most. And when you trust him most, that's where you're going to realize the honor that comes from him most. Fear God. And finally, as difficult as this one is going to be for about half of the country, you know, it's going to be impossible for about half the country, as difficult as it's going to be for those in the church that would rather not seen it, finally, number six, we are called to honor The emperor. Honor the emperor. See, as much as it might burn you, as much as it might bother you for me to say this, as much as it might get under your skin if you're not appreciative of him, Before the Electoral College ever selected Donald Trump to be the president of the United States, God had determined either by his permissive will or active will that Donald Trump would be the next president of the United States. Now anything could happen between now and then and prove us all wrong. Anything literally could happen. He may not make it to a presidency as much hate and anger is out there. But so far as we know, based on our circumstances in this moment, he is our next president. And so while we plan to honor him, we must also honor the one who sits there now. That's difficult for somebody in the room, I can guarantee you. Honor them. Because whether we like it or not, they serve as God's agents in this world for his purposes and the reality is is that Donald Trump is likely not going to be a David like he's not going to be King David that leads his people in in in, in, in as being a man after God's own heart he might be a, a King David in the sense that he fights a lot and blood sheds a lot of blood he's probably going to be more of a King Saul that God gives people because they so longed for him and then they deal with the consequences that come. He's probably more likely a pharaoh who was raised to power and ultimately enslaved an entire population of people and not just any people in the world, God's chosen people. He's likely to be a Nebuchadnezzar. That was used of God to bring judgment. Maybe he'll even be like Nero, who because of his existence, just simply his existence before he brought the great persecution, even his existence made it difficult for Christians to be Christian in the world in which Peter wrote. Because to be a Christian was to stand in direct opposition to the Roman culture, to the Roman Empire. Because your confession as a Christian that Jesus is Lord flies in the face of the Romans who desire to hear you say Caesar is Lord. The truth is that while this is true, it doesn't mean we don't question him. I appreciate what Martin Luther has to say. And he points out that we need to act as his conscience. Speak loudly about injustices in the world and call him to act in accordance with those injustices. Speak to our senators and our our, our representatives and act as their conscience that God's voice would be heard. And practically, practically, pray for this man. It was a long in the night as everybody was like, oh, we got it wrong, we got it wrong. It MSNBC, Fox, uh, uh, CNN, was, we got it wrong, we got it, how did we get it so wrong? And then somebody said something that struck me and centered my prayer. And I don't remember where it was from, I don't know I remember who said it. She said, and Donald Trump proved us all wrong. And suddenly my prayer became, God, do something in this man's heart that he would continue to prove us wrong. Save his soul, that he can purposely serve you, that he can purposefully act in good and in worship that people might be benefited. Not some, but all might be benefited. Pray. Pray for him. Honor him if you have trouble with that remember the words of Calvin honor the image of God in him because whether it's easy for you to see or not he is an image bearer of God and does not deserve anything less than dignity and respect as an image bearer of God So, in closing let me just say living Christian in a Christless nation doesn't begin with action in the world but with pursuing unity within the church. And as we stand in this united identity in Christ, we are equipped and made ready and empowered for action in the world, action that submits, action that lives free, action that honors everyone, action that loves the brotherhood, action that fears God, and action that honors our emperor. So let's go into this world together. Go into this world together. That our Christless nation might get a glimpse of the Christ who has come, and says, "Come to me and you will be saved." Let's pray. Father, I I confess. Confess in my flesh. I'm not trusting you. I'm not fearing you first, and in having bias. I confess in putting my hope in the wrong things and the improper people. I confess that as I watched. A balance between shock and and fear and anxiety and relief. Because I'm afraid of both of them. God, would you move in us now, in your people, that we might all confess that we might all repent and that we might together stand at the foot of the cross trusting in our Christ. That we would not be a divided people but that we stand unified in you honored together by you and sent together for you. That our God, that you Jesus would be worshiped. I pray these things, that you would do these things in the heart of your people in Jesus' name. Amen.